The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. It's Beyond Reality, and I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thanks for joining me tonight. We have made a deliberate and, uh, I think, really exciting schedule change. Tonight, we're going to be talking with Mike Ricksecker. He was on the program not too long ago, and we had so much to talk about, we did not get to everything. So we are going to bring him back, and I know that's uh, very popular with our audience, so uh, there's a lot of good reason to do it, I suppose. So we'll bring him in in just a few moments. Taking a quick look ahead as to what we've got coming up on the show, because there's a lot of great stuff. We've got some other returning guests as well, like Kelly Coffey. She was on about a year ago, I think um, it was, and she'll be coming back. Of course, a booze, brews, and bros for Friday night with a special guest who is going to become a regular part of the program. Excited about that. And then Monday night, Jonathan Zapp will be here. Jonathan's going to talk about uh, afterlife communication. And then Tuesday of next week, Shelly Kerr, who will be here to talk about karma. And I believe she's also going to talk about uh, communicating with pets when they passed. I think think that was also part of the discussion for next Tuesday night. So a lot of cool stuff, and we'll get to it in just a second. But I, I need to share a frustration with you because... Uh, here in New York State, they just um, passed a well. They passed the law a while ago, but it just went into effect where they ban shop, you know, plastic shopping bags. So before the show, I wanted to run over to the grocery store. I have one that is within walking distance from the house, and I was going to run over there and I was going to grab some stuff because I hadn't eaten all day, and I realized the show was about to start, and I needed something to snack on or whatever, and I wanted to make something after the show. You know, big big plans. You know, I got I got a. I don't know. I get busy, I forget to eat, and then all of a sudden I realize I'm hungry and uh, I need to make plans. So um, I, I was going to go do that, and then I remembered they they don't have bags, and I was going to walk. So I thought, okay, well, I'll look around and see what I can find in the house for a bag. I looked all over. I could not find a, a shopping bag. I could not find a bag to take with me to go to the grocery store so that I could buy some food so that I can eat later. And I didn't want to be juggling the stuff in my hands Um you know, for the walk home, and I was not going to drive over there. So I didn't go. I didn't go to the grocery store because of this idiotic ban on shopping bags. Somebody put a post up uh, somewhere along the way that said something like, you know, I go in, I buy a loaf of bread that's in a plastic bag. I buy a you know, dozen donuts that are in a plastic container. I buy a gallon of milk that's in a plastic thing. You know, went through this list. Everything is packaged that way. And somehow not using a plastic shopping bag is somehow going to save something. I don't know. It's, it seems ridiculous to me. Not only that, um, you know, they don't factor into the costs. Now I've got to worry about, and I've got to drive to the grocery store if I want to bring stuff home. Um, you know, what does that do? Uh, it's just so silly. This is government at its worst, and I can't stand it. Anyway, so that's me on my soapbox. I will get down, just like Mike Bloomberg, off the box, and we'll continue with what we're here to do, which is not talk about that stuff. Um, One of the things I did want to say, though, and this is, uh, I don't know, the the coronavirus thing. I I, I don't want to talk about anything to do with the virus, except that I heard a quote. I heard uh, Dr. Ben Carson in a press briefing, make a, uh, a statement today that I thought was absolutely brilliant, and I'm just going to paraphrase it. You may have heard it. He said, uh, you know, we had a terrific meeting with all of the executives of the pharmaceutical companies who are generally fierce competitors but have come together to help us solve this crisis. Wouldn't it be nice if the politicians would do that too? 
And I thought, amen. What a great, uh, what a great statement. And, and <laughs> I've always liked Ben Carson a lot. Um, okay, so gl- glad to see everybody in the chat room. Of course, the chat room is part of our YouTube live stream. If you haven't found our YouTube channel yet, it's really simple. Just go to YouTube and search for J.V. Johnson. It comes up rather quickly. The, the official channel is called J.V. Johnson's Beyond Paranormal. And uh, there's a great community there. So hello to everybody in our chat room. A lot of new names scrolling through. It's great to see all of you. And I know you're here not to listen to me so much, but to listen to uh, our guest coming up, Mike Ricksecker. And we're going to talk about Mike's books that focus on um, his collection of, of uh, paranormal encounters and ghost stories. He's written several of these books. And these uh, we didn't get much time to talk about those books when he was on the show last. We talked about his relatively new book, which is called A Walk in the Shadows, about shadow people. And I actually am going to address a few things as it relates to that book as well, because um, some of you actually sent some stories in and made some comments after that program, after we talked about shadow people that whole time. And I'm going to share some of those. So um, I look forward to doing all that. Right now, we're just going to take a very, very quick break. We'll get Mike on the line, and we'll begin our conversation. Again, our guest tonight, Mike Ricksecker. And we're going to be talking about ghosts tonight on Beyond Reality. Looking for our guest's book? Go to Amazon.com slash shop slash JVJTaps. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking with Mike Ricksecker. He's, of course, the author of uh, the best-selling book, A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People. He's also written a number of hyster- historical paranormal books, including Ghosts of Maryland, Ghost, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma, Campfire Tales, Midwest, Ghost Story and Case Files, and The Encounters with the Paranormal series. He's appeared on multiple television shows and programs as a paranormal historian. Mike, welcome back to the show. So great to have you back so soon. I'm, I'm really happy about this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me back, J.B. I really appreciate it. You know, um, when, when we talked earlier, I know Slick was uh, chatting with you about coming, having you come on tonight, and we mentioned we wanted to talk more about the ghost stories and stuff, which I think will fill up the bulk of our conversation. But before we get there, how is uh, A Walk in the Shadows doing for you? Is it, is it, is it meeting your expectations? Yeah, yeah. A Walk in the Shadows is doing really well. Uh, I've had a, a you know, really great response to it. I've had, oh my gosh, my inbox has been uh, flooded. Of course, after appearing on shows like yours, you know, people uh, hit me up, which is great. It's wonderful. I'm still trying to get to all the emails, so I apologize to anybody that I haven't responded to yet. And uh, the audio book will be coming out here pretty soon, too. So uh, you know, we'll see how that does. But um, And that, I actually read the audio book, so I hope people enjoy hearing the voice of the author to go along with the book. Well, that's cool. And I was going to ask you about that. When you release a book uh, about a topic that really is an emotional topic for a lot of people, you must get a lot of uh, people trying to contact you and share their stories, right? I mean, once they know you're, you're interested in the subject and you've done some research about it, they have stories to tell. So you must be flooded with that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There are all kinds of people out there that have had 
stories and experiences with shadow people in all varying kinds, whether it's, you know, a half-person experience or sleep paralysis or, you know, they just saw a shadow in passing. There's all different kinds of, uh, you know, experiences that people have had out there. You know, some of them terrifying. Some of them they just want to know what it is they're actually seeing. So, yeah, I've, I've been hit up with quite a bit. And we did, too. We got a lot of emails and uh, comments and posts on the uh, you know the the chat boards for the for the YouTube video and the podcast version of the show, and I actually wanted to share a couple with you and just get your opinion. Um, sure. One one of our listeners, regular listeners, wrote in. This is Crystal, and she said that shadow people can be very intimidating and violent, and it can really mess with your depth depth perception. And she says that uh, she and her roommates didn't know what the term shadow people was when they were experiencing this. But both of her roommates actually tried committing suicide because it had driven them nuts and it violated both of them. What do you think of that? Oh, wow. Well, that's, uh, that's a terrible experience. I'm sorry that happened to them. Uh, very interesting about the uh, the depth perception. That's that's a bit of a new one, but um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, some of these entities are you know nasty and evil and nefarious. Not all of them, but yeah, some of them are. And um, you know, the fact that it, it drove them to that is, is extremely sad. And um, you know, I hope they were able to get some help there with that. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we we don't know exactly what these things are. We don't completely understand them and. There are ones out there that are nasty like that. When you hear a story like that, do you start to suspect that maybe there's some uh, negative entity involved or maybe even some demonic energy associated with that particular quote-unquote shadow person? Yeah, there very well could be because there are some that I don't like to um, just throw the D word out frivolously. But yeah. you know, the, the nastiest case that I was on, it did involve a shadow person with red eyes. That one was deemed demonic, but... You know, we went through a lot of uh, investigating to come to that conclusion. We didn't just, you know, she didn't just have an experience with, with this thing. We said, oh, that's a demon. You know, there was a lot that we went through to make that determination. But um, it, it can't happen where, where some of these things may turn out to be demonic. Yeah, Crystal went on to say that uh, she saw it a bunch of times, and then one day it just disappeared, but it still gives her the creeps 29 years later. I imagine these things, especially when you have that kind of experience, are going to leave a lasting impression. Oh yeah, I imagine with an experience like that, you know, you could you could suffer from some PTSD for years after the fact. Let me share another one here. This is um, I don't know the person's name because it's just a screen name, so I'll just share the experience. Um, they say that they had their first paranormal experience um, a few years ago, talking about the fact their father had passed away from a heart attack in his sleep, and. Um, this person was getting ready to leave the bathroom at one point and heard her or his, I'm not sure, father's door open. Um, this person was the only person in the house, thought they saw a shadow, but it was pretty powerful. What do you think? Could that have been something related to the father having died recently in the house? Okay, so the door opening and all that happened after he had already passed? After he had passed, yeah. Okay. I mean... It- he could be visiting, and it's it's a little bit hard to say just to, just from that uh, description. But um, yeah, he he could be coming back, visiting, taking a look around, that sort of thing. You you, you do hear a lot of stories about you know after somebody passing away that they will come back and visit, and they can show up as a shadow. Um, some of these shadow people that we experience are human spirits. So is it possible that 
the door opening and the shadow passing through was her father. It, it, it's possible. It's, it's hard to know without more information, though. All right, one more I'll share with you, and this one I think is, um, I don't know, gives me a bit of a shiver when I read it. This is uh, Angel, and Angel says, Once I saw what appeared to be an electromagnetic gray swirly thing in the air. It felt like the air was being pulled, if that makes any sense, like a vortex. It scared me, so I went to lay down, and as soon as I did, I heard a voice say, quote, You see the shadow people, end quote. And she says that she couldn't sleep very well after that. Has anyone else had an experience like that? She also asks. Does that sound oh, familiar? Interesting. Um, not quite like that. I have heard reports of um, you know shimmer type people, or even uh, you know one individual waking up and seeing like a molten metal man standing there. Uh, that description there is a little bit different. Um, she heard the voice telepathically. I'm assuming. Uh, it doesn't detail doesn't that. Say, yeah, it doesn't okay. detail it in the message that she sent. Just that she heard it. Okay. Yeah, that that's a really interesting experience. I haven't heard one quite like that, so that's a little different. So I have to assume, you know, when you get, I mean, obviously we got a bunch of these stories, so you must get tons of them. When you get them, you must start to think, wow, I need to I need to write a follow-up to this book, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some of the stories where I read through it, and I was like, I'm just like, wow, this would have been great to include in the book. And so I did leave the book open to, of course, creating a second di- edition and, uh, even in my introduction, I say that this, you know, consider this a living document, and we'll be adding to it as the years go on. And, you know, this is going to be research that I continue to conduct for, for years on end. We're not just stopping with this one book. So there'll be much more down the road. Did you ever, when you collect this information and people respond because you've written a book about shadow people, do you get uh, any good evidence like photographs or, or video or anything that you look at and say, wow, that's, you know, that that might be a game changer. Yeah, there are some interesting videos and photographs that people send me. Of course, there is a lot that you can easily, you know, debunk or right, they might right. be sending me a dust orb or something like that. But there are some interesting shots that you kind of make you sit there and think, hmm, that one's a little interesting. So, yeah, there's some uh, there's some good captures out there that, that people have been able to uh, record. You know, the, the thing, and I'm sure you feel the same frustration as I do, having been in this field for such a long time, and we're all working so hard to do, capture something that we can call a smoking gun so that we can say, here it is, this is the proof we've been looking for. Now there are no more questions and nobody can deny it anymore. Um, it just It's so elusive to get that definitive. I mean, there are some great personal experiences, but it's when it comes to backing those personal experiences up with a, with a video or a photograph that can be completely un, uh, undisputed, um, that becomes difficult. Yeah, it's really challenging, and I just posted a a video on my YouTube channel, uh, Hunter Road Media, uh, on Friday, and it was a fantastic personal experience. It was at the Hinsdale House in New York, and we saw all these fantastic blue lights that you could just walk up to. You know, we weren't sure, I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but uh, if they were fairies or some sort of little folk or whatever, but they kept going blue. And this was into September. It's not during firefly season, and they don't get blue fireflies up there in that part of the country anyway. It's down in uh, the Carolinas, and we're doing everything we can to, you know, capture video and you know all of this. And there was like maybe a second and a half of some footage that we may have gotten one of those little blue lights, you know, and it's otherwise just you know like an hour's worth of footage where there's just nothing but us, you know, getting down on the ground. Oh, look at this! Look at that! And you know, nothing. 
I just want to make a comment because I see in our chat room a lot of people kind of commenting on the stories that I just shared and kind of offering each other some of their own stories. Feel free to comment, whether it's on our Facebook page or it's on any of the individual YouTube videos or the podcast version of the show, whatever. If you've got a story you want to share, please, by all means, share it. I'd like to start using these stories a little bit more frequently in the show when we have guests like Mike on, because I think it it gives us a great way to get some expert opinion on what some of the people that are listening to the show are experiencing. Mike, how many books do you have that relate to sharing and telling of uh, ghost stories and encounters? Uh, that would be nine. I have the uh, two mystery novels and then the nine paranormal-related books. And um, so you've, you've, you've probably seen and heard it all. Um, you've collected a lot of stories. If you had to kind of assume or make an educated guess, how common would you say ghost uh, experiences are among the population. Do, do you think a majority of people have these kinds of experiences, even if they don't recognize that's what they're having? I, I believe so. And the catchphrase on the back of the encounters with the paranormal books are almost everybody has a ghost story. And and it's true. Even people that say, you know, I, you know, I, I don't believe in ghosts, you know, they always come back with, but there was this one time. That's right. my, father, my father's guilty of that. You know, <laughs> It, it, and he's hilarious. He's like, I don't believe in that. It, it, but he'll watch my stuff. And uh, But he'll be one that comes back and says, but there was this one time. He tells a story. I'm like, Dad, that's a ghost story. And he's like, no, 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 no. But, yeah, and that's, and that's true of a lot of people, even if they're not into the paranormal, the supernatural, ghost, all that. They seem to have had at least one experience somewhere along the road that they can't quite explain, and it basically becomes their ghost story. Yeah, I, I've always shared that that uh, experience as well, where having been in the field as long as I have, people come up and say, oh, you, you, you chase ghosts, so that's, that's crazy. I don't believe in that stuff. However, when I was 12, you know, my grandfather appeared at the end of my bed. I'm like, how can you not believe you just told me that you had an experience? It is funny, but people, people just, I don't know if it's, it's just an unwillingness to believe, or they, if, if, they, if they accept that, there's a whole bunch of other things they have to accept with it. Yeah, I mean, there's a a bit of a stigma, especially with um, especially with the older folk that um, you know, if you if you admit to you know something like seeing a ghost, then you know you must be crazy. And a lot of people grew up with that, and I think that's one thing that's been really fantastic with um, you know the paranormal pop culture over the last 20 years. You know, all the television shows and all that is that they've allowed people to open up and say, hey, yeah, I've had that experience, too. And that's something that we've done with the Encounters uh, books is, you know, we've collected stories from people from all over so that, you know, maybe there's a story or two in there that they can relate to and say, hey, I've had that experience. And then they're, they feel a little bit more free to open up and share what they've experienced. All right, here's a question that I think probably uh, may even concern a lot of people. Are we surrounded by ghosts all of the time? I believe for the most most part we are. I, I think if you were to, there, I believe that there's a world around us that, that's veiled to us that we can't see with our own eyes. If that veil was to come up, I think we'd be extremely surprised to see what all is around us. I, I do believe that we are, we're surrounded uh, probably for you know, the majority of our time by something supernatural, and we just usually don't recognize it because we're you know, busy running our lives. 
Or and, and, and maybe they're just not making themselves known too. But right. they, but you're saying, yeah, there there was most likely stuff around us all the time. So that led, leads to the question. I think this is something that people fear as well. Can spirits, ghosts, capture us in our most intimate moments when we do not want to be captured <laughs> or seen? You know, we pull the shades, but can these spirits still uh, see what we're doing? Yeah, unfortunately, I think so. And, you know, some people pick up on that where, you know, they might be in the shower and they, they pick up on something coming in. They're like, hey, right, you are not supposed to be in here. Get out. Um, <laughs> I think it does happen. I would like to think that, um, well, when it comes to human spirits, at least, I think, um, you know, the, the way you are in life, your your demeanor, your personality is the way you are when you've gone, uh, when you've passed on. And so I think most people will have that respect of not following you into the bathroom, you know, what have you. So, um, but but there is that where they could, and you just you don't know that they're there. I mean, there are there are a lot of people in this world that are, um, uh, let's say, off center. Uh, that uh, you know, if they had the ability to do some things that most of us wouldn't do, they probably would take advantage of it. So I'm hoping there is some kind of barrier to that, because otherwise, I'm I don't know. I'm going to have to start changing my behavior. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little disconcerting to think of, and so I think most of us just don't think of that aspect of it until something out of the ordinary happens. Or, wait a second. If um, yeah. if you if you are a non-believer, if you don't believe in any of this, if, can you actually shut yourself off to it so nothing paranormal ever happened to you? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, yeah. I don't think entirely, but I, I think non-believers certainly have um, you know a harder time picking up on things because they have so completely closed off uh, that side of, of themselves, that it, it's almost like, I mean, we're, we're made of energy, so I think it's almost like flipping off a switch somewhere, and um, you know, I, I still think that they have that small chance of being able to experience something. Unfortunately, they usually just scoff at it and say, oh, no, no, that was nothing. Um, but yeah, they, they have a harder time picking up on something. Is there a way that we can encourage um the whatever's around us to materialize, or is there a way we can help uh, increase our chances of having some type of paranormal encounter? Well, I think a lot of that is also, you know, the free will uh, of the entity. You know, some of these may not want to be seen. So, um, but I, I think, at least for me, the approach that I take is, you know, I just, I treat these, uh, these entities, these beings, these spirits, you know, as humans, as anybody else that, that I would treat in life. And I think that respect has been, uh, you know, very advantageous uh, for me in getting a lot of the responses and interaction that I've had that, um, you know, as I've introduced myself and they've come to know me, that they've been a little bit more more forthcoming on the return trips to different places in, in the subsequent interactions. So, um, I, I think, at least for me, that's a, uh, a wise tactic to take is just, hey, just treat them like anybody else, not a guinea pig, and you know, they'll open up to you. You know, one of the things that people often cite is the fact that, you know, we've had in the history of the world, we've had, you know, billions upon billions of people die. And I don't know if all of them have the ability to become a ghost that stays here with us and roams the earth. Uh, Maybe that's the first question. You know, is it most of the people that pass away that stick stick around as ghosts? Is it a small fraction? And with the number of people that have passed away over the course of human history, 
it seems like we would have a very, very crowded spiritual world here. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, a, it's a great question. I think that uh, that's one of the things people really want to know is, you know, what really happens uh, after we die? And, you know, there's a lot of different theories, and I think it comes down to your belief. Um, no, I don't believe that every single, you know, person that passed away over the course of time is roaming the earth. Um, you know, I believe that there is, you know, another side, someplace that we go to, and I do believe in reincarnation as well. So I think some of the people that, you know, have, have died are still lingering about here for a variety of different reasons, whether that's, um, you know, they have some task that they uh, you know, still want to fulfill, some message they want to give, something they just, uh, you know, perhaps they're morose and they just want to linger at some site for a while. There's a lot of different reasons they could be hanging around. Um, but I think eventually you know, the majority of spirits do pass on into that other realm and eventually come back here. We have a perception in Hollywood in particular, but in pop culture in many ways, that ghosts try to scare people. I mean, you know, you see uh, uh, some of these old movies, and sometimes it's in a comedic sense, but, you know, the ghosts are intentionally trying to scare people. But in reality, I don't know of any stories, paranormal otherwise, where people have, other than being startled and maybe just having a general fear themselves, that the spirit or the ghost was actually trying to make some effort to scare a person. Do you know of anything that would fall into that category? Yeah, I mean, uh, you uh, you hear about spirits that are mischievous. You know, they might be a little playful, move things around the house, that sort of thing. Not necessarily to scare, but you know, it's kind of more being playful, right. and kind of juvenile. Right. Um, as far as ones that are scary, like, I think that's where you start getting into something that's a little bit more, uh, you know, more malicious and nefarious, you know, maybe even borderline demonic, something like that, where, yes, there is something that is intentionally trying to uh, terrorize the person, but as far as, like, a normal human spirit, like your grandmother or grandfather, I don't think they're coming back and, you know, trying to, to scare people. I mean, that's, and you're right, uh, you know, the movies from the past or, or pop culture from the past, Scooby-Doo, <laughs> you know. Yeah, right. always, but that was always know. Mr. Jenkins, though, old man Jenkins in the sheet, right? That was never actually... Right, it would have gone away with it, too, <laughs> it wasn't for those meddling kids. Right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, great stuff. For the first ghost hunters that I that I was ever uh, exposed to is the Scooby Doo gang for sure. Um, what then? What along the way do you think gave us our fear? And I know it's not every culture. Not every culture is afraid of this stuff. But we have, I would say, in in our culture, maybe it's in Western culture in general. There's this fear uh, that that most people have. Not everybody, but most people do. That uh, you know they see a ghost and it scares them. Where do you think that comes from? Yeah, I think it's a uh, a fear of what we don't understand. Uh, I think there's, as far as like Western culture, I think you know for a number of years religion played into that. So you know anything that you know was not um, that was not considered godly was of the devil, and so you know that was something that you know, would kind of be driven into you. So if you saw a ghost or you know, a spirit or something like that, then you know it, it must be a demon. So I think that's kind of played into a, a lot. And also with the United States being a newer country, unlike, you know, say, Europe or what have you, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of investigators and just, you know, citizens in general from the, like, from the U.K., and they'll tell me it, it's very, very different over there than here 
because they're kind of used to living with their family spirits. You know, you, you move into a house and you kind of understand, okay, this, this building is like four or 500 years old, and you kind of understand that the, the, spirit, the spirits from the family are there with you, where over here it's a much, much newer country, and we, just, we haven't had that sort of thing over here. So it, there is something to be said for our culture here playing into that as well. And when you bring up religion, um, I, I think it's still the position, at least of the Catholic Church, that ghosts don't exist, right? Yeah, from and I grew up Catholic, but uh, yeah, other than uh, the Holy Ghost, yeah, yeah. Um, that that's definitely frowned upon. Yeah. So if um, if you're Catholic and you see a ghost, what? How do you reconcile that? I mean, I'm Catholic too. I, I'm not really practicing, but I was, you know, raised Catholic and baptized Catholic, all that stuff. Um, so I don't really know the answer to that. But if you're Catholic and you see a ghost, how do you reconcile it? You know, here's the funny thing. <laughs> my my aunt, uh, my eldest aunt. Uh, she's a she's a nun, and she was the mother superior of her convent for um, for quite a few years until she got a little bit too old. And I hadn't seen her for a number of years. And I finally uh, it was a, uh, I don't know maybe about five years ago now uh, got to see her and all the families around. And I hadn't seen her since like before I started writing all the paranormal books. And so one of my aunts mentioned that I had written these books. I was like, oh. Here comes the wrath of God from from my aunt, who's the nun. And the funniest thing was that she was absolutely fascinated. She was like, oh, I just love ghosts and haunted houses. Please tell me all about it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So it was like, whew, okay. He <laughs> dodged a bullet there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I think I, I think the thing is, is that... Um, when it comes down to it, most most people uh, do believe in it to some degree or another, and there's just these you know diehard stalwarts that kind of get in the way and you know try to keep that control in there. And um, yeah, it's 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 a shame. It's a shame. You were talking about reincarnation just a moment ago, and a lot of the guests we've had on the program, there seems to be a um, a building consensus. And a uh, a lot of people that are talking about the idea that uh, our souls are part of a greater consciousness, and maybe that greater consciousness is God, is what we call is what we know as God. Um, and then they, when they leave our body, our souls go into this greater consciousness. They do whatever they have to do there, and then they come back, as you said, in some form of reincarnation. They come back and they start another life. And Mike. My question, as it relates to that, does that mean my parents, who have both passed, um, when I pass, are they not going to be there to greet me because they've reincarnated into something else? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and it is a worry of a lot of people who believe in reincarnation. Will my loved ones not actually be there? Uh, you know, when I when I go to you know this this place, this greater consciousness, this home world, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I have heard some some theories that um, that people from your quote unquote soul family will not reincarnate until everybody has joined up there and gotten to see everybody and then start making those decisions to come back. And maybe it's just you know people theorizing that right. it, it's a nice thought. Honestly, we don't truly know. Right. But I would like to think that when I pass on, that I'm going to see. Uh, you know my loved ones that uh, that I grew up with, and, you know, my grandparents. I'd love to see again, but you know, and I hear interesting stories. I mean, just from my own family, where 
you know, my grandfather was in the process of um, passing away. He was essentially on his deathbed, and his grandfather walked into, into the room. And he had never met his grandfather. He had no memory of him, but he absolutely knew it was his grandfather and sat down and talked with him for a little bit. Wow. And so he came from somewhere he hadn't reincarnated yet. Um, so, so maybe we do, in, in time from what I understand of it, definitely works differently in that realm. So, you know, maybe what's, you know, many years to us down here is a blink of an eye up there. Well, that, yeah, that was the point I was going to make. Our perception of time is so limited and everything we think about and talk about, we think about things in terms of a human lifespan generally, and maybe we'll go a generation to either side, but in the scheme of, of this greater consciousness that we're talking about, or this, you know, whatever it is, whether it's heaven, whether it's a spiritual dimension, um, you know, there is there there in, in my estimation there is no time, and therefore for us to put those constraints on it is really just misguided. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the time is a, is a human construct. It's basically something we came up with to describe our reality, keep track of the seasons, and and all of that. Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting theories about space and time, and that you know everything is actually. Um, running concurrently the, the the past the present the future is all concurrent and it's just you know um you know kind of veiled to us we're stuck in this what we call the river of time but you know a lot of people theorize in, including einstein that no it actually works very differently and um you know we're just us with our human minds in this body can't quite see past that but once we exit this body and we move on then perhaps we're able to see that if you just joined us, we're talking with Mike Ricksecker tonight. Mike is the author of many books, including A Walk in the Shadows, Encounters with the Paranormals 1 and 2, and uh, several other more regional ghost story books. His website is MikeRicksecker.com. You can find out information about all of his work there. Mike, when we talk about ghost stories, when you started to compile them for all your various books, um, what's, what's the most common type of ghost story? Is it the actual sighting of an apparition or something else? <laughs> um, I mean, there there are a lot of common uh, ghost stories, like the Woman in White or Crybaby Bridge or you know Gravity Hill. Those it seems like everybody, you know, all regions, you know, have those types of stories, uh, which which is kind of interesting because they are rooted in you know with some sort of grain of truth. Um, but those are the ones I really find to be the most common. The you know there are stories that uh, every community seems to have. You know, there's the story of, uh, you said, uh, the lady in white. Almost every community, and, and I say this because my community had one before I knew anything about all this, you know, everything, all the other paranormal things going on around the country or the world. And as I started to meet people, you know, people would say, oh, you know, we had this house uh, down on the corner of Elm Street, and uh, there used to be a lady, and, and she'd be in white, and she'd appear on the stairs. You know what? So there are certain stories that seem to be common to almost every community. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's really interesting, and I, I think you know, I think there's legitimacy to the lady in white. Apparitions basically appear in some sort of white form. To right, them. right. You know, whether it's a white mist. I mean, the the last one that I saw, which was of a little girl, it was basically from I don't know, maybe about the knees on up, and it was white and kind of faded into nothingness down below. Um, or some people see like the the apparition of an arm, but it's always this like ghostly pale white and translucent. So people always see a, a lady in white. I understand from that, but it, it's it's very common 
tale, but it usually seems to be associated with you know a historic house, and I think that's that's what's really interesting to me is okay, what are the legends of this house? Who is this apparition that's seen? Who is this woman? Why is she appearing? Um, you know what's her actual story, and try to uh, allow the memory of these people to come forth. As we kind of end up forgetting the the truth behind a lot of these people, and it just becomes the the things that go bump in the night. You know the the appearance of the woman or the footsteps that people hear, and we forget about the lives that they actually led and who they were. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Appreciate you being here tonight, whether you're listening on the live YouTube stream, watching as well, or you're checking this out as a podcast. We welcome all of you. We do encourage you to subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, the YouTube channel is just J.V. Johnson's, what is it, J.V. Johnson's Beyond Paranormal, but you can find it just by searching with my name, J.V. Johnson. We've got about 550 back episodes of the program available there for your viewing and listening pleasure. Uh, the podcast also, I think there's about 120, That's I think as far back as the archive goes on the new podcast server. But either way, it's a great way to uh, listen to the show. If you subscribe on your smart device, you'll get it downloaded to your phone or your ipad or whatever it happens to be every day and uh, you can catch up when you're on the road you're traveling you're commuting driving whatever it happens to be it makes it real easy to listen to and get caught up so thanks for doing that as well our guest tonight is mike ricksecker we're talking about ghosts this is kind of the the roots of the show and it's the roots of uh, most of what we have done in our past i know that uh, i started as a ghost hunter mike has done a lot of work investigating, researching, and writing about ghosts. And, Mike, how did you get into this? I mean, I know we've talked about it on this show before, but uh, tell us the story again. <laughs> yeah, we talked about it, <clears throat> excuse me, we talked about it quite a bit on, uh, on the last time I was on because of, you know, the shadow people. And that was my first uh, real paranormal experience was with a shadow person. Uh, woke up in my, uh, in my bedroom in the middle of the night, and there standing in the corner was this dark humanoid figure, uh, about eight or nine years old. And, of course, at the time, I didn't know to call that uh, a shadow person. I had no idea what it was. It, uh, really what I thought it was was a, uh, there was an intruder in the house, and it was about to kill me, you know, which it didn't do because I'm still alive today. And uh, what it ended up doing, though, very unusual, was it actually approached my bed, leaned over, grabbed me by the wrist, crossed my arms across my body, and then ran off down the hall and into a closet. Of course, I was trying to scream during this. My mouth opened. Nothing came out. After it ran off, I finally found my legs, found my voice, ran off, and uh, told my parents about what had happened, uh, which they, of course, told me that I just had a bad dream, but um, you know, I, I knew I was awake for this whole thing. Um, you know, as far as getting involved into the paranormal, you know, that, that was kind of the experience that let me really know, okay, there's definitely you know, really strange, unusual things. Mike, I can't imagine having that experience as a kid. I mean, uh, Oh, yeah, I was frightened. Talk about frightening. And that is the stuff, you know, that's why uh, so many kids go to bed wondering what's under their bed or what's in the closet because of stories like that. Wow. I, I, I mean, was it traumatic for you? I mean, did, I mean, obviously it led you to a career investigating this stuff. But at the time, I mean, it must have left a bit of a mark on you. Well, yeah, of course. I was terrified to go to bed the, the next several nights. You know, I want the light on. I had a, I had a peanuts night light <laughs> that <laughs> didn't illuminate too well. You know, I was keeping the, uh, you know, the, uh, the shades open so that the street light could come in, filter in, and um, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. You know, I would, um, you know, I'd always ask my mom to leave the hall light on, and you know, by the time I fell asleep, she'd go and turn it off, and so that sort of thing. Um, 
so yeah, I was I was definitely scared for for quite a while. But obviously, it put a curiosity into your mind as well that at some point you decided you wanted to figure out what this was all about. Yeah, I, I really did. You know, um, and maybe it was that Scooby Doo upbringing. I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when I was a little bit younger than that, about seven, uh, you know, some of the uh, stories that I had been writing, I was writing a lot of little detective stories, but I also wrote little ghost stories. So it was always a a bit of an interest that I had. And then when I got older. Uh, my mom bought me the book uh, Yankee Ghost by Hans Holzer, and I just dove right into that, not even realizing until yeah. I was a couple stories in that these were true stories. You know, I was like, "Wow, this is this is absolutely fascinating." And then, you know, finally had my first little paranormal investigation again, not knowing that's what I was getting involved with when I was about 15 years old. And um, you know, it was that little investigation there where I knew that this was going to be something that I was going to be involved with for the rest of my life. A lot of us at that age um, played around with things like Ouija boards, or we, we'd hold a little seance, not really knowing what we were doing, but uh, it was more of for the scare factor than anything else. Is that how you got started, too? Um, you know, I didn't do anything with the, uh, with the Ouija board at that age. There was a, uh, a movie called Witchboard out oh, at yeah. the time with, with Tony Katane. Tony Katane, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that so that kind of scared me off of Ouija board <laughs> at that age. But uh, I mean, yeah, I mean there was other stuff that you know that I would that I would end up doing. And you know whether it was you know like I was doing gravestone rubbings when I was in the fifth grade and stuff like that. Mm. So I always had a little bit of the macabre going on, I guess. How common is it when we get back to, the, to going back to the ghost stories here that you've collected and heard and maybe even experienced yourself? But how common is it that a story involves the person's ability to actually interact with the spirit or apparition that they're seeing or encountering? Um, you know, I mean, as far as a actual reported sighting from somebody? Yeah, yeah. When you, yeah, in, in, in your experience and stories that if people have shared with you about their personal experiences or maybe your own, how common is it that people can actually have an interaction with a spirit, have a conversation, or, you know, maybe even a physical interaction? Um, I would say maybe about a third of the time that there's some sort of interaction. A lot of times it's just a sighting that, you know, I... You know, somebody say I saw something, or you know, the the shadow passed down the hall, or saw the apparition of my grandmother, or, or something like that. Um, heard the footsteps. Those are a kind of you know a lot of the different uh, reports. But there are those sometimes, like I said, maybe about a third of the time to come about where um, you know there was a little bit of an inter- interaction where you know they were able to talk or they were touched or something like that. I mean, a lot of uh, experiences tend to be more of a residual type where, you know, you just kind of see something that seems to be completely unaware of your presence. Uh, would you say that makes up the bulk of these types of sightings, or is it equally uh, just a third like uh, the other kind was? Yeah, that's, it's, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, I have, there's definitely, I would probably say at least half <laughs> yeah. residual. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that's fine. You know, we you know we have stone tape theory that you know we kind of theorize about you know how those things get recorded. We're really not sure how they play back, but yeah, we'll hear the footsteps, or there'll be an apparition that passes through a wall where a door used to be. Um, people in the the UK will report seeing like the heads of Roman soldiers going down the streets, and it's like right on street level. And the idea, I guess, is that the body is actually still under the ground because that's where the street used to be. And, uh, you know, so those are the residual haunts or, you know, battlefields where people will see the, the ghosts of the different, 
you know, battalions or little formations or a couple of troops, you know, marching through the woods. We've had some people who have been involved in law enforcement, and sometimes they, at least the ones that come on this show, are open to talking to psychics and mediums that can communicate with the spirit world and have actually used some of that information to help solve crimes. Have you heard of any of those stories, any of that stuff across your desk? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, my my co-hostess on my show, uh, Vanessa Hogle, she's a psychic medium. She's been contacted by law enforcement before to help out with different cases. And, you know, law enforcement does recognize that there is some validity to many psychic mediums out there that they are able to, you know, pick up on a, a lot of these um, uh, different crimes. And un- unfortunately, um, you know, the, these things that have happened to people, but, you know, with with the way psychic mediums are able to, you know, pick up on this, whether it's remote viewing or, you know, they're, they're able to, um, you know, feel the pain that somebody experienced. You know, it does help to give clues to these law enforcement officials, and they're able to actually solve some of these crimes. Yet we have so many unsolved crimes. Is that because law enforcement isn't open enough to these ideas, or it's just so, um, it's an imperfect science, therefore it's not reliable enough to solve everything? Well, the problem is going to be, you know, bringing that to a court of law. I mean, you could use a psychic medium to help guide you a little bit, but that's not going to be evidence that you can bring in front of a in front of a judge, or at least these days, because you do read about some some cases from like the 1700s, like one that I cover in my Ghost of Maryland book, where they did actually allow the uh, testimony of a ghost in court, which is kind of interesting. But uh, these days, you know, that that's not going to fly. So you're going to need the actual physical evidence uh, to put in front of the, the court like that. And so a psychic medium say, well, I picked up on this. That's not going to work. So they, they'll use the psychic medium as a guide, but they need to actually, you know, get the evidence. Should people be scared of any of these things we're talking about? And I'm talking about the whole gamut, whether it's shadow people, whether it's demonic entities, negative energies, or just ghosts in general. Is there a reason ever to be scared of this stuff? Well, I mean, it's... Um I mean, there's there's plenty of things in this this world to be scared of. I would say, don't make yourself paranoid about it. You know, I, I could walk down the street and get mugged. Um, that's something scary to think about. But I'm not going to be, you know, paranoid walking down the street thinking I'm going to get mugged. It, it unfortunately happens. I think same with the spirit world. Unfortunately, there are times in which there is a you know evil, nasty, or nefarious spirit that enters a home and, and does something terrible. Um, but that's it. It's not the norm. Most of the spirits that we encounter are like somebody's, you know, grandmother or their sister that passed away or what have you, and they're just, they're just there. You know, they're they're a normal human being. Um, it's kind of like with anything. It's the it's the bad ones that give the good ones a a, a bad rap. You have written two write two books in the encounters with the paranormal series. Uh, there's four in that series. Oh, there's four. Okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, Let's talk about some of the stories. Now, when you first started this, how did you reach out for the stories? Um, I mean, I just I just put it out there. It was when I first started uh, Hunter Road Media as a publishing company, and I just really wanted to see if this thing was going to work. So, right? Um, yeah, I thought an interesting way to do that would be to you know reach out to others. Hey, let's let's get a bunch of stories together. Um, I liked the idea that. You know, I mean, I, I could, 
I could have put out something on my own and did it under, na- under the name of Hunter Road Media, and basically it would be like self-publishing. But I liked the idea that, hey, you know, you might not be able to relate to my experiences, but there's a bunch of other people around here that have had experiences too, unlike mine. So if you don't relate to mine, you might be able to relate to somebody else's. So I just put some feelers out there on social media, and I, it was a you know fantastic response. People sent me all kinds of stories, and we printed that uh, first little book within, I think it was about three or four months, and it was very popular. It's like, okay, this is this is going to work. And then for the second one, kind of did the same thing, but I started gearing it more toward um, – you know, helping out some of these historic locations that we visit as well. So for the next three, part of the proceeds go to uh, help support the haunted historic locations that are featured on the cover. So we collected a number of stories from that one particular location as well. So you get a lot of stories from all over, but then there's also like a featured location that gets a lot of page space. Let's talk about a few of these stories. What are some of the stories that either, you know, sent a shiver down your spine, impressed you the most, or you just thought were it was the most entertaining? Let's go through a few of those. <laughs> yeah, there's some. There's some really um, wow. There's some really interesting ones in there. Um, uh, as far as one that makes a shiver go down your spine, I think Stephanie Bingham's experience with the um, uh, with the creepy lady she was seeing in the mirror. Because there's something there's something about mirrors and the whole idea of opening a portal into another dimension, which is uh, extremely creepy. Do you realize so, you, you just by saying that you put a shiver down my spine? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take much. Wow. Tell us what tell us what this is about. Um, I mean, I don't remember all the details offhand, but um, it was a um, I think it was her, was it her college dorm room, I think it was, and there was a, a number of times in which she kept seeing this just creepy old woman in this uh, in this mirror. I can't remember exactly what she did to make it go away, but um, we have a, a, an illustrator that uh, that we use for, for these books, Adam Tillery, and the illustration that he did to accompany the story is absolutely creepy, and so... Just knowing, okay, mirror, creepy old lady, his illustration, this is, yeah, this is definitely major creep factor here. I don't know that I could, I don't know that what I would do if I looked into a mirror and I saw my reflection and then someone else's reflection. Now, if you take the Haunted Mansion ride in Disney World, that's one of the gimmicks they have in that ride. You know, you're kind of cruising by mirrors and you see these ghosts sitting next to you. But for real, if you were in your bathroom getting ready to brush your teeth, whatever, and you look up and look into the mirror, and there's a figure standing behind you that's not there. That's something that would uh, would probably uh, there'd be a hole in the wall, the shape of JV running through it. <laughs> what are some other stories? I mean, you you must have you know in in the course of getting all of these, some of them must make you either raise an eyebrow or um, make you even more curious about the work you're doing. Yeah, some of them are really, uh, really interesting to me. And I mentioned Adam uh, before about uh, doing the illustrations. And where I, I really saw the power of his work was with the first book. There's a uh, there's a story in there called James, and it's by Cat uh, Gash. And there was this when she was growing up. The house that she grew up in was haunted. She kept seeing this apparition of a little boy in colonial clothing. And he would come into the room at night, and he would kind of play with her and, uh, you know, all this sort of stuff. And he drew an illustration of 
James, just based on some real, you know, small description that uh, that Cat had in her story, and you know, went to go ahead and publish. But before I published it, um, I sent Cat the illustration. Said, "Well, here's here's the illustration that's going with your story," and she broke down crying because Adam had somehow channeled exactly what he looked like to her when she was young or, oh, oh. and had actually witnessed this apparition. So that's that's something that Adam's been able to do with the illustrations in these books is he's actually been able to, to channel somehow, and when he creates these illustrations, they are as these people had actually seen them. Um, another one with, uh, with my partner, Shauna, uh, Byron. It was a little boy spirit that she had seen at a uh, at a cafe that she used to work at, and um, you know the story there was that before it had been a cafe, before the building was there, um, there was a tree there, and there was a little boy that had climbed the tree to basically watch a fight that was going on on the street in the town, and he had actually fallen out of the tree and um, you know died from his from his injuries, and his spirit is supposed to haunt there. And there was one particular day where um, she had actually seen him. The, the people had, you know, heard his voice there, you know, caught some EVPs, that sort of stuff. Uh, but there was one day where she actually caught the apparition. And when Adam submitted that drawing of Byron, you know, she says that was that was exactly him, exactly the way he looked. So, um, wow. so the illustrations within the books are very authentic. Wow. We're talking with Mike Ricksecker tonight. He's written several books about the paranormal, including A Walk in the Shadows. That's your most recent one, right, Mike? A Walk in the Shadows? Yeah, A Walk in the Shadows just came out January 21st. That's the most recent. Plus uh, many that uh, recount uh, ghost and paranormal stories, including Encounters with the Paranormal. That's a series of four books and others. You, um, you, you spend a lot of time writing, apparently. Do you do any investigating yourself? Do you go out and actually what we would call ghost hunt? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been an investigator for uh, quite a while, and, um, you know, it's kind of a bit of a of a down season during the uh, winter time. but now that it's starting to warm up, uh, we'll get back out there and, and do a lot more investigating. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. What are some of your favorite places to go and investigate? Well, right now my favorite place to go is Mineral Springs Hotel down in Alton, Illinois. Absolutely love that place. It's, uh, you know, it's huge, uh, very historic right along the Mississippi River, and it's five levels, and each level seems to have its its own energy. And what's really interesting is the old mineral spring is still in the building. It's it's, it's packed in, but wow. um, there's basically a hole that goes right into the ground. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. And um, this is a location where last year, during an investigation following our, uh, our conference that we put on in June, where there's just a couple of us left, and we're upstairs, well, five of us, and that's where we saw the apparition of the little girl basically kind of roll up out of the smoke of um, you know coming down the hallway, and uh, you know but and that's just one that's just one thing. There's a lot of different hauntings that go on in that upstairs. The uh, the old abandoned pool has a lot going on there. Um, so yeah, you have all these different little historic spots within this one massive building, and it's just so much activity. It's off the wall. Is is the hotel an active hotel still, or is it closed down? Um, it's. Not active as a hotel, but there are uh, basically they're using it as a little mini mall right now. So there's a metaphysical shop in there, which is wonderful. It's raining in. There's a there's a curiosity museum that's in there that has like a lot of like old historic 
torture devices and things like that. Um, there's a tea shop called Indigo Moon, and so there's a lot of different little stores in there. Um, and then it's used as a conference center as well. It's interesting and it's encouraging that this interest in the paranormal has actually been a bit of a savior to a lot of old buildings and old sites, um, provided them with some what we would call uh, haunted tourism or paranormal tourism and some money to help restore some of these places and keep them open and available to the public. I mean, you must have seen this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, like I said, it's one of the things that we're trying to do with the, uh, with the Encounters book is, is try to you know, help raise a, you know, at least a few extra dollars for these places. And, yeah, you'll see that you know, a lot of these historic places will use that to you know, help invest and keep these places restored, keep them from the wrecking ball. Um, and I, I've heard some sad tales of some historic locations around the country that just refuse to embrace their paranormal history they're not getting funding from anywhere, and they close up, and, and they're gone. Yeah, you know it's, that's really sad because you know once this is a part of our history, and once it's gone, it's gone forever. Yeah, and and I also think that uh, you know there was quite a surge in interest in this stuff when the paranormal reality television shows took off in the beginning. So you know they took off mid two thousands, two thousand four, two thousand five, and around that time frame. Uh, so many people, the idea was so new to so many people that these places saw this massive wave of people coming and visiting and investigating. And a lot of people actually made decisions to buy these locations based on that. And it's, it hasn't disappeared. That interest hasn't gone completely, but it's certainly leveled off. And uh, so some of these places and some of these people are now starting to struggle again. And I think it's important that we support them wherever we can. Oh yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, definitely support your uh, your haunted locations that are that are embracing the you know their paranormal past. Um, you know, you know these people they work really hard in trying to you know restore these locations. A lot of times there's a, uh, a huge upfront investment. Um, yeah, I was even looking at doing that this past year. I mean, but yet you know it's not just the cost of the building. You look at it, it's like oh wow, you know if I was to buy this this house in you know, and restore and run the paranormal investigations out of it. Well, it needs a new roof first. So there's a lot of uh, cost and dedication that goes into uh, restoring these places. So, yeah, definitely get out there and, and help support these people. Yeah, it's a labor of love for sure. Um, we do have a question from our chat room that I wanted to share. Uh, Matt asks if you think, Mike, that uh, stores that have historic items, I suppose like antique shops and stuff like that, can cause different hauntings from the building itself. So in other words, the building can actually have, let's say an old hotel that has historic furniture. The building can have its own type of haunting and the items inside that also have a history could have something completely different. That's true. Yeah. Um, you know, there may be some sort of attachment or, you know, just maybe some sort of energy that's ingrained into that object that it's bringing with it, uh, into that location. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, that, um, you know, wherever this item has been has picked up those those energies, and it could very well be, you know, quite different than the building is bring, being brought into. Are there certain places that are more prone to either hauntings themselves or just the ability to have paranormal activity that people can witness? Any type of pattern to that? Well, there's a lot to be said for the land. So, like, around here, we're along the Mississippi River, so you have these limestone bluffs. Limestone has a lot of quartz in it, which can, you know, can, it conducts 
uh, energy, conducts electricity. And then you have the water that's right there that's also a great conductor of energy. So you kind of mix those two. You have a bunch of buildings and history and tragedy um, you know, up and down the river, and, yeah, you end up with a lot of paranormal activity there. So um, any, uh, any building and locations like that, you know, uh, Stanley Hotel is one. Uh, just off the top of my head, that you know, basically it's built into the mountain, so you know you're tapping into that that energy resource right there, and yeah, you end up with a lot of hauntings at a place like that. I know you probably are going to give the same answer I would, but what are your thoughts on cemeteries? Are they notoriously haunted or not? Uh, it's it's a mixed bag. Um, I, I don't think that spirits are just sitting at the cemetery hanging out with their body, um, but. You can, you can actually get some paranormal activity at cemeteries. I, I think, um, and I don't know how it works, but I think somehow, some way, spirits will sometimes know that um, you're, you're in the cemetery and you're coming to. I mean, I've, I've seen it happen where you know, we're just observing the, the headstones of a particular family and start recognizing, oh, hey, you know, the three boys over here all died at a very young age and the two girls over there lived into full adulthood and basically you're kind of telling the story of the family and then all of a sudden some activity starts happening so it's like you got the attention of one of the family members come to find out the family actually just used to live down the street so you know maybe they were at their property saw that we were over here in the cemetery checking them out talking about them and they you know came to look um so I, I don't think that spirits hang out at cemeteries, but I think they they have reasons to go. They do have the reason to go, but I think one of the things that kind of misleads us on cemeteries is obviously we know there are remains of many people there, and they have such a creepy atmosphere that probably every noise, every you know breeze that rustles the trees is going to make people think something like that is happening. So the, the environment itself lends a lot of people to think that we may have hauntings there. Oh, yeah. You know, people will spook themselves, sure. I mean, especially in, like, the more historic section of a cemetery, you end up with these very kind of creepy, macabre uh, headstones, which is actually something I love about uh, the old cemeteries. Is, um, I love the old, you know, masonry and carvings and, and statues and what have you. And so, yeah, and inherently people will try to, you know, will creep themselves out, and so, you know, yeah, you're right, you know, they'll hear a, something that goes bump in the night and spook themselves, and um, so that's why a lot of people just think, oh, yeah, cemeteries are haunted, it's like, yeah, not really, but... <laughs> I mean, if you, you know, if you, if you were, uh, if some, uh, a ghost, uh, probably the last place you'd want to be hanging around is the cemetery, I mean, you probably want to go someplace where you actually have fond memories and have you know, pleasant experiences, and that's where you'd want to hang out. Um, by the way, everyone, we're talking with Mike Ricksecker. If you're just joining us, thanks for being here tonight. We have a great crowd watching our live YouTube stream. Welcome to you all. Please subscribe to the channel. Also know that there's a podcast version of the show available. That gets edited and uh, uploaded to the podcast distribution system. It's available everywhere, Apple, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everywhere you can get podcasts. And it's done the next day, and it gives you an opportunity to listen to the program as a podcast, which is very, very convenient for some people, especially those who can't stay up late. But anyway, thank you, everybody, for being here tonight with us as we continue our conversation with Mike Ricksecker, where we encourage you to go to his website as well, MikeRicksecker.com. Mike, what about hospitals and asylums? I mean, one of the things that if you had to rate maybe the top episodes of, say, any any ghost show, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Encounter, or um, 
Ghost Adventures, whatever. Uh, these asylums and hospitals seem to be the ones that make for some really exciting television. Are they notoriously haunted? They tend to have a lot going on there. And I know just, you know, one offhand, uh, Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, which has been on a number of those shows. And you know, I've, I've been there myself. Uh, I had a, it was kind of nice, it was a book signing right in the admin building as people were walking in all day long. And just, you know, during the day before we even did the, the investigation at night, you know, there's things going on all over the place within that building. I'm just, you know, sitting there with my books. And, you know, you're hearing stuff going on down the hall, and you take a look, and, um, you know, because you're, you're hearing these footsteps or door slam, there's nobody over there. And so you start looking down one of the wards. No, no, nobody's over there. So, you know, shut the door, try to go back to the table. All of a sudden the door to the bathroom comes flying open. There's nobody. It's just, yeah. it, it's just insane. So, um, yeah, a lot of the asylums and um, hospitals that I've investigated just tend to really have a lot going on there. So if we use the theory that we were just talking about when it comes to cemeteries, it's not a place that has fond memory, memories for the deceased. Therefore, why would their spirit or ghost hang around there? What do you think attracts those same spirits and ghosts to a hospital or asylum that can't, have, can't be pleasant experiences? Uh, I mean, not necessarily. Um, I think it's as far as like a hospital versus an asylum, I, I think it's a, like a little bit different. So with a, uh, with a hospital, you know, you hear a lot about um, like, the spirits of nurses or the spirits of doctors. And I think that, you know, they have memories of, of being there and helping people. You know, it's their life's passion to, to be that doctor or be that nurse. And uh, so they're still there basically going to work. Um, as far as those who passed away, you know, with an asylum, you have a little bit of a different atmosphere where, you know, a lot of these patients, especially some of the uh, older asylums, um, you know, they didn't have all their mental faculties, so they might, may not even realize that they have died and are still there in their same unfortunate state, uh, but now as, as a ghost. If you had to answer a simple question for somebody, if somebody came up to you and just said, uh, Mike, what is a ghost? How do you answer that basic question? Oh, that's, that's a good question. So um, I believe that is the uh, spirit of a human being who is not passed on yet into the other realm, wherever we go. And are they eternal? Um, That's another good question. Um, I would say that your spirit uh, is eternal. Now, whether a ghost is going to remain eternally here on Earth, I I don't think so, because you don't really hear about ghosts of, like, the Sumerians. Right. You know, <laughs> so eventually, they all went off somewhere, um, and, and maybe they've been reincarnated, like we were talking about earlier. So, um, so I, I don't think a ghost stays here e- eternally on Earth. I think they do eventually pass on, and what that threshold is, or what may eventually make them go on, I don't know. But but they can stay down here for quite some time. Whether I talk to somebody on the program and ask them this question, or I talk to somebody at an event who comes up to my table and I ask them this question, or I just uh, at a dinner party ask this question if uh, the paranormal topic comes up, and I say, where did you have your first paranormal experience? If I had to pick one place that uh, was the answer to that question more often than any other place, it would be Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. 
What is it about battlefields other than the obvious? And what is it about Gettysburg specifically that seems to have such incredible uh, paranormal activity? Yeah, Gettysburg, I mean, it was a, I mean, it's basically like the heart of the Civil War. And I think it's something that you know, it's really left a scar in the entire nation. So I think, you know, it, it's something that happened on our soil. It was the battle between two sides of the country. It was, um, I mean, obviously it wasn't the final battle, but it's, it's basically the most famous one. And I, I think just the emotions behind all of that, you know, even resounding to now uh, has just reverberated through time. And when you go there, and I've been there several times because I, I used to live uh, about 45 minutes away from there, um, there is just an extreme sadness as, you know, you, you drive through there, you walk the grounds, um, you know, you can just feel the energy around you. And even when I was there as a kid, when my parents brought me, you know, yeah, it was cool to see all the cannons and all that stuff, but there was still just this eerie, quiet, about it, I mean, it was it was like its own cemetery being out there on, on those battlefields. I I really enjoy going to Gettysburg. I've been many times. It's one of my favorite places to visit uh, of of all the places in the world, and I've been in a lot of places. And uh, it does have an, a very unique energy to it. And as far as being the heart of the Civil War, it was the turning point for sure. It was definitely the battle that had the most significance, and it had the most casualties. That ground was soaked with so much human blood that it's hard to measure. Yeah, I, I can't imagine you know, what it actually looked like. You, know, you, you see these old grainy black and white photos. There's not too many of them. And you, know, you see a little bit of the horror, but to, to have actually been there, I can't imagine. Yeah, and those photos, by the way, anybody who knows about Civil War history, were taken, I think, almost a week after the battle. Yeah. And so imagine the odor and the... Uh, and you can see in in, in, the, in the, many of those pictures how bloated the, the corpses were because they'd been out in the hot July sun in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania for a week. It's incredible. And, and um, you know, people see, like you said, kind of regiments marching ghost regiments and they hear ghost horses and ghost wagons and and they hear you know soldiers they see soldiers trying to get a drink of water in a creek that's running through the battlefield i mean it's really that um populated with these experiences yeah it really is you know people will swear that they've seen some sort of reenactment and they'll go to the visitor center and and, and tell them yeah you guys you know had a really great reenactment today and and they look at their schedule and like we didn't have a scheduled reenactment today you know it's that it's that lifelike uh when when they see these basically they're residual hauntings what is the best time this is this is another question that comes up often and there's a lot of debate about it but what's the best time of day to uh increase your chances to catch some type of paranormal activity witness it yourself um, you know, that's you're right. That is a debated topic. I, you know, I I don't ever say that there is a best time of day. I, I I know that we do a lot of our investigations at night, and you know, the the shows will say, well, we're starting our investigation at two in the morning. Is you know, it you can experience paranormal activity at any time of day. And you know, what I always find find funny, you know, when we do our nighttime investigations, is that most of the stories that we're you know, we're hearing from, you know, the people that were, whether it's somebody's house or, you know, if it's a historic 
location, you're talking to the docents that's there. A lot of the experiences that, that they had were during the day. You know, they're, they're taking a, a group on a tour and they saw whatever the heck it was, and yet we're doing our investigations at night when they had seen the, the activity during the day. So I always find that funny. Um, I just I always say that we can experience paranormal activity at any time of day. It can it it, it doesn't matter if it's it's three in the morning or three in the afternoon. I think there's two advantages to three in the morning, and it's not that there's more activity at three in the morning. It's just that things tend to be quieter, yeah. uh, you know, so you don't have that contamination. And secondly, anytime it's dark, you have the ability to sense light anomalies a little better than you would during the day. Yeah, I'll agree with that. You don't have all the noise pollution from during the day. And then, um, you know, as far as, like, shadows and things like that, you know, the sun, especially um, during the uh, the warmer times of the year when the sun's really out, you know, it, it does cast these shadows throughout the house. If there's a cloud that passes by, it starts to do some funky things with the light, and you don't have that at night. You might have a passing car, but you can debunk a passing car real quick. And at 3 in the morning, you don't have too many of those. So I, I definitely agree with you there. You've uh, also written a book about campfire stories. Are these ghost stories? Yeah, yeah. That's a, it's a fun book. Um, they are, uh, yeah, they're fictional tales, but they're based on real history and legends. And so you you get the you get the history of the location and some of the stories that people will report at that particular location. But yeah, it's it's an actual fictional tale, so you kind of have some fun with it. Something that you can, you know roast some marshmallows with and tell and actually <laughs> one of the best stories i've ever written um is in that book it's called um feeling the afterlife it's actually told from the perspective uh of a ghost at um the old fort chaffee field medical complex which has since burned down it it takes the reader through the time when the person actually passed away and you know, ended up staying at the hospital throughout its run. So you get to learn about the history of, you know, as it was operating and the spirits hanging out there, and then when it shut down, the spirits still there, what it was like while it was abandoned, and ghost hunters came in, and, you know, all these different things, up to the point where um, it burned down. And now what is the ghost going to do? So, you know, I go through all of those emotions from the perspective of the spirit. So I have an interesting take on all that. What's your next project? You've got some, uh, I'm sure, a list of things that you want to tackle. What's top of the list? Yeah, um, some different interesting things that I have going on. So I am going down the rabbit hole with uh, with the shadow people, so um, getting more into the uh, interdimensional aspects of shadows. And not just not just shadow people, of course, that'll be a big aspect of it, but also you know the universe connected as a whole. Um, also be doing some uh, video projects with that, and then um, kind of tying into that. But the um, the show that's out right now, uh, the Alaska Triangle, which um, the reason why I was brought into it was to talk about portals and vortices and things like that. So that kind of connects right back to uh, this idea of um, interdimensional beings, and so the, all these different things are kind of tying into each other right now. And so I have a few different things lined up and working on uh, in, in, with those means. Do you have a place or uh, maybe more than one place that you'd like to get to to investigate? Maybe, um, you know, a, a, a bucket list kind of of paranormal sites that you want to visit? Something that I'd really love to do, and I, I know it's probably not going to happen anytime soon, um, would be the uh, restricted section of the Paris catacombs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I'd love to explore that. And they do that in the movie As Above, So Below. That's they right. Filmed in that, um, in those uh, passageways down there, and I'd love to do that. I um, you know, I have visited the Paris catacombs a couple of times. Amazingly haunting place, and I don't mean that in necessarily a paranormal sense. I just mean that in a energy sense. And uh, there are so many parts of that that are that are uh, closed off to the public. And I'm told that you can seriously get lost in these catacombs. They're so yeah. extensive. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I've heard. That you you would really need a guide. But of course, you know, it's illegal to do that. <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to have the chance to do that. And if anybody and not is, is not familiar with these catacombs, the, the catacombs under Paris were constructed uh, as a way for early Christians, I believe, to hide. Or maybe it was a specific Christian sect. And they lived in these catacombs, and they built basically underground an underground city there. And then at, uh, at a point along the way when they were no longer used for that, the government of Paris, I assume, maybe it was the French government, decided they were going to, because of the way Paris was growing, they needed to uh, use all of the space they could on the surface of the ground. So they took cemeteries and emptied them of the corpses, which were now all just skeletons, and took all the skeletons and brought them into the catacombs and stacked them. So you'll be walking through the catacombs, and on your right, there'll be just a whole bunch of skulls. And on your left, there'll be a whole bunch of ribs or leg bones or whatever it happens to be. And it's for miles and miles. Yeah, one of the issues that they were having with the cemeteries was they were becoming too overfull with with bodies. There, um, I think it was after a rainstorm, but uh, one of the homes right next to one of the, uh, the cemeteries that was having the overflowing issue, the wall caved in in their basement, and all of these corpses, all of these skeletons, just poured into their basement. Wow! So yeah, they had a they had a serious problem there that they had to take care of. Wow! It's um yeah, it, it's an it's an amazing place. So, is there any place in the United States that you want to get to? Um, I just hit a major bucket list item of mine, which was uh, Chaco Canyon. Um, I just, I absolutely loved it there. Did that back in November, um, and that was really <laughs> like the major one that I wanted to get to here in the U.S. Which I'd actually like to do a lot more down there in the Four Corners region, like um, uh, really right there in the Four Corners region. Uh, what, what is that? Um, it escapes me right now. Um, Shiprock, um, that area, the uh, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada. Uh, there's a lot of great uh, ruins and uh, you know, Native American culture around there that I would love to explore more. There's, um, I guess, a new television show coming out about the Skinwalker Ranch. Have you seen that? I saw that's coming out. I haven't uh, heard about it. I haven't yeah. seen the previews yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to what it'll be like. I mean, there's been so much talk about the Skinwalker Ranch, and I, I felt as though for a while it kind of went quiet. And I don't mean that the activity stopped, because I don't know. But people talking about it stops, and I think the access was was restricted to it, therefore people weren't visiting. But maybe this is why, maybe because they were filming this television show. Yeah, it could have been, and you know, I know people were uh, you know trespassing on there, so maybe they you know purposely quieted down um, to draw less attention, you know, to you know kind of you know ward off trespassers a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what this uh, what the show will actually detail. You have a website, MikeRicksecker dot com. All of your books are listed there. Where can where else can people find the books or uh, continue to follow information about your work? Um, yeah, so yeah, MikeRicksecker.com. Um, 
HauntedRoadMedia.com as well. We also have the Haunted Road Media YouTube channel. Um, I was down there in the chat earlier, so people can just follow me from there. Um, so what else do we have going on? I have so much. <laughs> uh, we have our podcast, Beyond the Shadows and Edge of the Rabbit Hole, so you can follow those as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different places you can actually get the books, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and, and what have you. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. I know our audience really, really enjoys it as well, Mike. So thanks so much for doing this, and uh, we'll, we're going to make it a regular thing because we love talking to you here. Yeah, that'd be great. I appreciate having me back on, JV. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by JV Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.